I was staying on an island in the middle of Lake Baikal in Siberia, which is the world's largest freshwater lake. Mm. Really, really beautiful place. Met some Russians there. It was I had an Austrian travel buddy for a while for, for a few of the cities because he had a similar schedule to me. Uh, and he was there with me and we were, it was the two of us drinking with this Russian couple. Very short, small couple, both of them. Right. They took us to the to to the bottle shop and uh, got some vodka. And the girl bought like seven bottles of vodka. <laughs> seven. <laughs> Hello, I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with my old travel pal, Jay Canning. Jay was on the very first episode of the podcast, way back in August 2020. That time we spoke about how Jay started travelling in California, with me, in 2009, and how he progressed, becoming more and more adventurous, with subsequent trips in the Balkans, Morocco, and then tackling the Trans-Siberian Railway, a journey that had fascinated him for years. If you want to listen to that podcast, just go to the bottom of the archives, it's episode 1. This time, we're diving deeper into that Trans-Siberian journey and how Jay managed to successfully travel from London to China by train. In conversation, we discuss Jay's necessary preparations, including learning a bit of Russian, which is covered in more details in the episode before. Jay also shares what were his greatest challenges and how we could have completely screwed his whole journey in Cologne, literally days into the three-month-long trip. It seems getting drunk with Russians is mandatory, but you still have to have your wits about you when there are some interesting border crossings to navigate. Jay's adventure had its ups and downs, and Jay explains how completing this journey has impacted his life, and he recommends every young person to go on adventures, to test yourself and shape yourself, while you're still young. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. Jay Canning, thanks for coming back on. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Surviving lockdown. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to do do a second episode. This is great. And where are you right now? I'm still in Skopje, still in Macedonia, North Macedonia. <laughs> Same as last time, really. I mean, uh, travel is basically impossible. So I've had like several flights to London cancelled. I haven't seen my mother for almost a year. Mm. But, you know, what can you do? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you mentioned, you were on the initial podcast episode of The Nostalgic Vagabond way back in August, which we recorded during the initial lockdown, and now we're recording another episode. <laughs> second wave, second episode, right? <laughs> and during that first episode, we talked about some of our shared experiences traveling in California in the USA, and we touched on adventures that came after that, especially from your side. And one in particular which I wanted to really delve into today was your epic train journey that took you from London all the way into Beijing, into China, yep. using the Trans-Siberian Railway. So I wanted to take some time today to really delve into that adventure that you had and get some reflections from you and some tips. And also for my benefit and for other people who might be listening who have thought about this idea, maybe don't know enough yet to feel confident to really go for it, whether you could offer some insight onto that as well. Yeah, sure. My first question to you, Jay, is why? Why would somebody want to travel from London in the UK to China completely by train? What was it about that idea? Why did you want to do something like that? It seems pretty crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, I suppose it does. 
I mean, as as we mentioned in our, in the first episode, for me, everything started um, in California. That was the thing that gave me the travel bug. Every subsequent trip I made, I, I, I became more and more adventurous. And I was just kind of, I was looking for new ways to, to create my own adventures. And um, so I visited the Balkans first and then um, visited Morocco. So I was, I was kind of gradually getting wilder with my travel aspirations. Mm. And I, I'd always been aware of the Trans-Siberian Railway as, as, you know, it has the title of the longest railway journey in the world. And so I thought, well, that would be, that would be a nice goal. And I, I kind of played around with the idea, did some research on it. It just seemed very, very challenging. Like there were so many things that you have to take into account, especially because as a Westerner, uh, as a Westerner, you need, um, you need a visa for all of these countries. Mm. So there's that as well. And also there was kind of the stigma of, uh, of Russia and how, you know, at that time, I wasn't aware, but basically, we've all been brainwashed to either hate Russia or to think of Russia as some kind of enemy. Or if we go to Russia, we'll be kidnapped or <laughs> or put in jail or whatever. You know, like it had this kind of ominous kind of feeling about it, and that kind of attracted me. You know, the the potential for an adventure from that, because of that kind of aspect, was also exciting for me. And also, the idea of of just traveling so far over land that cultures and people change as you go and the idea of going from europe to asia over land is it's kind of like a marco polo kind of thing it's it's fascinating to me to me what you're saying it seems like you were always pushing that envelope with your spirit of adventure yeah you had your initial adventures with me in the usa and then you did your european adventures post california yeah but like an adrenaline junkie, it seemed like you wanted to go further and harder and, and see how far you could push yourself in terms of overcoming the challenges and obstacles that you just explained were something that you wanted to test yourself on. Absolutely. There was, there was definitely a big aspect of, of personal challenge. And, I, you know, as I'd reached the age that I was, um, I, I, I became acquainted with the idea that growth happens when you push your comfort zone mm. and there was a big aspect of that and i i used travel a lot to do that to kind of expand my expand my personality and, and courage by pushing pushing the comfort zone as as far as i could i mean within reason i mean i wouldn't i wasn't like jumping off cliffs and stuff but like you know <laughs> my own way of of, of pushing it <laughs> you were saying that you obviously made some preparations before your adventure began making sure you had all the necessary visas in order and stuff like that. What other kind of practical preparations did you make sure you had squared away before embarking at uh, St. Pancras for day one? Well, visas, visas were a very big part of it, especially because you have to juggle the validity periods and there are certain windows where you're allowed to apply before you travel. You can't apply too early. You can't apply too late. And then because I was, I had to do four countries. So I had to get visas for Belarus, for Russia, for Mongolia, and for China. And I had to kind of synchronize those so that I had four valid visas in my passport, mm. taking into account all the application dates and the waiting dates, etc. And also each country needed the visa start date to be the date, date that I was entering that country. So I had to plan the whole, I had to schedule and plan the trip very carefully so that I would be entering each country on the exact day that the, the visa started. Um, and so that was like a, it was a juggling and synchronizing thing, which I would, it would have been impossible for me to do that myself. I had an agency, a travel agency help me with, they handled my train ticket bookings and my visa applications all as one service. And they're based in London, so they had an office. I went to the office several times and did some things with them online. Paid them a fair amount of money, but it was it was it was definitely worth paying that money because if you want to do that yourself, and just if you want to apply for a Russian visa yourself, good luck. <laughs> you need you need a company to help you do that. Yeah. And if you're you're applying to four uh, former uh, former communist countries for visas, you really do need an agency, especially when those those dates need to sync up as well as booking your uh, Russian train tickets, which I think it's easier now online. But back in those days, this is seven years ago, 
that was also tricky. So yeah, agency, definitely for this kind of thing. Mm, so I imagine when you hit the Eastern part of your adventure, there was not really any room for being spontaneous. You had to hit your mark. Otherwise, I mean, could you have been disallowed entry, I suppose? Yeah, so I don't remember exactly. Because it was seven years ago, I don't remember the details about the exact rules. But basically, that the there was room for spontaneity within the borders of the country once you're mm. in it. Um, but in terms of crossing borders, that was very strict because it was train ticket booked for a specific day, border entry on a specific day. For example, if it's an overnight train, you need to take into account the fact that you'll be entering the next country on the following day, that kind of stuff. You have to get that very precise and correct. Um, but wh when you're in a country, like when you're in Russia, when you're in Mongolia, you can be spontaneous, obviously. You can, you can do what you want once you're in. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel too constrained uh, at all. I didn't feel too constrained. It, it, was, it was good. Had you always planned to use an agency to help you with this process or were you in a way told that that was the best way or was that just what you ended up finding out that, hey, this is going to be very difficult at this time in my life with my experience and knowledge and so you just thought, I need to spend a bit of money and get some help in this? Basically, it's just not worth your time to try and do it yourself to save some money. It's much better to just pay that money and get it done for you even when it was being done for me, I still had to work very hard because there were so many forms I had to fill in. For those visas, like you have to tell them your, your travel history of the last 10 years down to the date. You have to tell them which countries you went to, which dates, all that stuff. You have to put all of that stuff in. You have to put details of your parents, details of yourself, your siblings, if you have any. Like crazy information that you think that they would never need to know. They want to know that information. Um, they want to know everything about you, right? So <laughs> it's... <laughs> It was hard work, even though I had this agency helping me out. And also, um, you may know the website seat61.com, which is a great website all about trains. It's all about train travel all around the world. And if you go on seat61.com, it's run by a British guy. If you go on their Trans-Siberian or Russian section, he will also recommend don't even bother trying to sort this out yourself. You need to get mm. the agency to sort you out. And there are, there are various agencies that do it. Yeah, I followed his advice because he's like, he's the expert. He's the world's expert on train travel. If you want to do train travel, seat61.com is the place to go. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's a good tip. Yeah, check it out. It's a really interesting website, actually. Really, really interesting. In the initial podcast episode we had together, we spoke quite a lot about you learning uh, Russian language in order to help you navigate this train journey. So if listeners want to hear about how you got on with that, then can check out episode one of the podcast along with you trying to bone up on some russian skills to obviously help you communicate with people and having all this visa stuff and train entry train travel stuff taken care of by the agency what other preparations had you made perhaps internally prior to embarking at st pancras station to begin well it's quite funny i took i in my preparations I took security very, very, very seriously. And I had, I bought all these kind of devices and stuff. Like I had everything with me. I had one of those alarms, like, like something like a rape alarm, you know, like one of those <laughs> alarms where you pull the, the chain and, and it lets off like a, like a really loud siren. So I had one of those in case somebody attacked me or something. Mm -hmm. What else did I had? I have, I, I had a, some kind of pouch, some kind of security pouch that you could tie to a like a hostel bed or something that was like bulletproof and knife proof and god knows what like i really went overboard with the, <laughs> with the security i was like super paranoid about those crazy russians and <laughs> all that stuff so yeah i had lots of gadgets and things with me the kind of you know those kind of wallet things that you stuff into your underpants yeah like all those kind of things i had all that stuff with me overkill i, I had overkill on that stuff and yeah, mental preparations. I was pretty scared, like the night before, because I had a very early Eurostar train, like 6am or something. Mm. The night before, I just felt terrified, like I didn't even want to do it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the hell have I put myself into? I, I felt really scared. But then when it came to the morning, when it came to getting on the tube and getting myself to St. Pancras, I was so excited, really. I guess it's a bit like 
before playing a big football match or before playing a big basketball game or even going and doing a public speaking tournament or something like that. It's like the anticipation and the pre-anxiety and the nerves of the event and your mind plays tricks on you. Yeah, 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 definitely. Even, I suppose, embarking on any kind of journey, whether it be hardcore or whether it be more, you know, vacational, that moment before you're second guessing yourself it's just this weird game that our minds play on on us but the interesting thing is like you said once you got on the tube and you were on your way it's like i'm in this now yeah now you're sort of like almost the survival mode you just get on with it and you don't think about the fear it's like i'm just going to survive this and it's almost like your mind does the reverse to what it was before it's not talking yourself out of it it's just going with it and trying to do the best you can. Strange. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's something, I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't experienced that much in life. So it shows, you, it shows you how big the trip was that I experienced that. I mean, if I, was, if I was a sportsman and I played some important finals, then maybe I would have experienced mm. this feeling more. But it was something kind of new to me at that time. Now I, I know exactly what you're talking about now. I mean... Mm. It's like going on stage or whatever. There's so many things in life that can cause that feeling. Yeah. I just have this this image of Jay Canning, backpack and all, standing on St Pancras Station, ready for the Eurostar. Probably the sun's just starting to rise, I imagine, if it's that early in the morning. Yeah, the sun was rising on the day and the sun was rising on the whole trip. <laughs> that was It was an amazing moment. I remember that moment that you're describing, mm. standing on the platform. Uh, I took a photo of the of the of the Eurostar train, and you know, I was like, "Wow, this is my first train, my first of many trains." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's almost like you open a book to page one, and you just start reading. Yeah. Were you alone on that platform? I remember it as being alone. I mean, obviously there were other passengers for that train, mm. uh, but I remember it, and yeah, that's I, I just remember it being like my experience but i'm sure there were other people there yeah yeah so what kind of feeling did you have at that point obviously i imagine it wasn't a terrified feeling like you'd had the night before but can you articulate what kinds of emotions as you stood on that platform ready to step on your first train what emotions were going through you it was excitement it was excitement and uh I suppose you could say anticipation, although I suppose that word is often misused. But I, I just saw like a thousand stories that were going to happen soon. And it was just that overwhelming excitement of wondering what's going to happen next. Mm. And yeah, it was a brilliant feeling. Like one of the best feelings of my life was standing on that uh, St. Pancras platform. Like, mm. yeah. Yeah, like embarking on a journey where you don't know exactly what could happen, but you're excited for what may happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a feeling like that before when I I can still remember the day of leaving my house as I checked out of a rental that I had finished the lease on, sold off everything I owned again, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, put on my backpack, which I've still got. I've had it for 12 years, I think. And then just walking down the icy road, down my street to... I think I was going to the bus station at that point. Just here we go again. <laughs> you hear the soundtrack in your mind. I didn't actually have any music or anything. Else. It was all in my own mind. But you know, I, I could have even been humming to myself. I can't remember. But there was definitely some music in my mind. Yeah, and it is that, fantastic. that feeling of, all right, here we go. Let's see where this journey takes us for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic that you've had the same backpack for 12 years as well. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I really do need a new one, but uh, yeah, we'll, I'll have to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do have the same backpack um, because I bought that. I bought one of those big, like 65 liter yeah. backpacks for my Trans-Siberian journey. And I still have it. It's still in great condition because I haven't used it much because I haven't, I've only done one other very large journey. Mm. So yeah, I haven't used it that much. Jay, while you were jumping on that Eurostar, was there anything going through your mind in terms of perhaps preconceived ideas of what you hoped this particular journey might achieve for you? I knew that it would change me. Um, I knew that personal growth was one of the main uh, results and also reasons mm. for doing this. 
I remember even at the pub I was working at, like just telling people the journey I was about to undertake, and and even other people said, "Wow, you it's going to change you. Like, wow, you're gonna, it's going to, you're going to grow." Mm, totally. <laughs> like even other people could could realize that that the implications of doing something that large. It was like three months or something, or maybe just a bit less than three months, the entire duration. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely personal growth. Um, I didn't expect, I didn't, I didn't, at the beginning, I didn't expect my perceptions to be changed as much as they were. Obviously, I did, obviously, I, I already knew that travel changes your perceptions of, of certain things and people, etc. Um, but I, I didn't realize how much that it would actually change my perceptions. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later yeah, on. But yeah, we'll get to that. That's one of the well, well, that was one of the surprises that came from it for me. Okay, well, let's move on a bit to practical and story-like elements. Where exactly did you go? So, what was your route on the train? Which countries did you pass through? And was it fixed the whole way, or did you have maybe some options that you might consider spontaneously through certain Western European countries or Central European countries? Um, I went with the flow because basically, because of those visas, the majority of the journey was in visa countries, mm. uh, was not in EU countries. Initially, my plans had been, I wanted to do the Trans-Siberian Railway. So mm. my initial plan would be like to fly to Moscow and then do Moscow to, to, to Beijing. Um, but then I thought, well, why not just make this whole thing a train journey? Like, trains in Europe are, are very easy to handle. I mean, why not just make this whole thing overland? That would be even more spectacular than than flying to Moscow. And so I just I just decided to add on the EU countries. But with the EU countries, because I had a schedule for the visa countries, I ended up just scheduling the whole thing. Mm. So I had I had everything booked in advance. Well, that was also a cost thing, especially in the Europe, because. Um, I mean, as you know, like things like Eurostar, if you book them way in advance, you get a much cheaper ticket. True. And um, so I, I applied that principle to all of my trains um, because it was so much cheaper anyway. So I was, I was working in a pub, so I wasn't full of money. So <laughs> I, I scheduled everything way in advance just so I could get the cheapest tickets. Yep. So the whole thing was scheduled. I had some spontaneity within the cities that I was in doing what I want. But in terms of moving to the next place, that was all strictly on a schedule. Yeah, I had a a podcast with uh, Marion. You must remember Marion from California. I remember the name. Marion Pudimat, German guy. Oh, yes, yes. I, yeah, I remember him. Yeah. With, with the awesome hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He travels a lot like that as well. He, I guess because he's German, he's very organized. <laughs> yeah. He sets out his journeys like you've done with your massive railway adventure so that the stress of that is taken away and he has his spontaneity when he's in particular towns and cities and then when it's time to go again well that's his program it's time to go again yeah i understand that and i think for some people if that is fixed it can remove some possible anxiety about now how do i get to my next place yeah you just know that you have a deadline and when that time comes you need to leave this town it doesn't work for everyone, though. I know some people, they like the spontaneity, but I think for some other people, and depending on the context and the situation, you know, having everything fixed. I think it also depends where you are. So, for example, like if you're in Europe, if you're in the Schengen zone, mm. then you can cross borders without any issues. You know, you can do what you want. Um, but I did have, uh, I, I had another trip, another large trip after this one, which was a South America trip. That was based a lot around flights. Mm. flying from one place to another because they don't have any trains there at all and buses are very nice but the distances are extremely long for buses so and i had a more kind of liberal kind of freewheeling approach to that one without scheduling so much and in the end i actually lost something on the trip i lost a whole country my last country on that trip was peru mm. and i had a flight booked from peru back to europe and because i was ad-libbing because i didn't have it all booked out like scheduled in the end, I couldn't get a flight to Peru for some very strange reasons of Chilean bureaucracy. <laughs> it was literally impossible for me to buy a flight to Peru. And I missed Peru because of that. So mm. it kind of reinforced for me the way that I did it with the Trans-Siberian trip was was better. I see. Yeah, I suppose there's always a risk-reward thing going on there Yeah. with yeah. being organized and being completely disorganized and spontaneous. 
So yeah, I guess that's the game you play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So basically, you were quite organized. You went through your Schengen European zone, and then obviously, when you had your uh, restrictions and visa requirements, you had to keep to a timetable when you were journeying by train through Russia, yeah. Mongolia, Belarus, yeah. and China, you yeah. said. I was wondering, this is just a curious question. Did you have a, a favorite train company? Something about this particular train that was better than the others? Well, for me, better means more adventurous. <laughs> cool. I mean, if you want to talk about better trains, then obviously German trains are the best. But um, <laughs> if you want to talk about what, what was the best adventure, uh, I would say everything from everything from the, uh, let's say, the train I took from Poland to Belarus, Hmm. Uh, right up to the Chinese trains. And Chinese trains were also a great experience because they have, um, from Beijing to Xi'an, I took like one of those bullet train things, mm. which I couldn't afford in Japan, but in China, much cheaper and same speed. And that was brilliant. That was that was an experience. Shanghai Airport uh, shuttle I also took, which is a magnetic levitation yeah. thing, which goes at like 500 kilometers per hour. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, but really, the biggest adventure for me was the Soviet trains. Yeah. Like, from Poland to Belarus, that was a really interesting experience, especially when it came to the border. It was just, it was interesting, because I had I had a, uh, one, a guy that was in my cabin, Polish guy, who who, who was uh, traveling to Bel Belarus also. Mm -hmm. And we were sleeping. It, the border crossing was at night. It was something like 4 or 5 a.m. And we were sleeping with the window slightly open. And I just remember... The smell of cigarettes and things as they were changing the, I think it's called changing the bogies, right? Because the the railway is a different gauge, the European, uh, the Polish gauge, of course, and then the Belarus slash Russian gauge is either wider or narrower. So they have to, they basically have to lift up your carriage using a crane and detach the wheels and attach a new set of wheels that fit the the tracks. Mm. And that happened while we were on board. So. We just felt the whole thing shake and it was lifted up. I could smell cigarettes from the workers outside and <laughs> there was sounds of metal and things being dropped and people speaking Russian, Belarusian. And that was like, it was a real James Bond moment for me. It was like, wow, I'm on a train and there's these Russian communist guys outside changing our wheels. And <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting. And then, of course, the border guards came in and they're all dressed up, especially in Belarus, because in many ways, Belarus is actually more Soviet than Russia. Belarus still has the KGB, whereas Russia doesn't have one anymore. Right. Belarusian border guards were dressed up just like Soviet soldiers and had the mannerisms to match. And that was terrific. I mean, I was actually scared of them. And there were so many questions being asked in Russian towards me, which I didn't understand despite my uh, studying the language. Uh, <laughs> and the Polish, the Polish guy who I who I'd befriended in the in the in the cabin through my pub knowledge of Polish swear words. Nice. He handled all the questions for me, basically. Like he explained to them, I'm a tourist and all that stuff. Because they were really... They had a very... Their attitude was one of interrogation rather than of a simple passport check. Mm. So yeah, that was a real experience. can imagine quite terrifying in a way. And yes. Very yeah, it was for grateful, me. I imagine you were, to, to um, this Polish guy. for. I imagine he was speaking Russian to these guys yeah yeah because yeah, he he had a girlfriend he had a belarusian girlfriend and so mm. he was he was traveling he, he did that trip like once a week and mm. and he knew the language etc so he, he really handled he helped me out there because he handled it all yeah I, I i have an experience like that too jay when i went to pakistan i bumped into some guy i knew from when i was working in my university days in a a singapore airport toilet and it turned out that we were on the same flight to lahore in pakistan oh wow I mean, this is just after Benazir Bhutto was assassinated as well. So oh, wow. it was a very bizarre time. Tense times in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah no doubt. And obviously, I don't speak Urdu mm -hmm. really at all. No. He spoke for me and brought me through customs checks and out into the arrivals until I found my, my driver who was going to take me into the neighboring towns. So, yeah, I mean, I totally can understand your predicament and your kind of emotional yeah. state when people help you out it's really like it, oh it's it's something else it's amazing that, that somehow these things work out mm. and it's interesting what you say about me uh, you know bumping into someone on travel on travels because actually something weird happened to me on this trans-siberian trip mm. 
So when I got off my Eurostar in Brussels, mm -hmm. I bumped into like two or three guys that I went to school with. <laughs> and that was like, wow, okay, what are you doing here? Um, and, and they said, yeah, we're just here. We're here in Brussels for a few days for a little city break. What are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm going to China. <laughs> <laughs> and what did they say? And they were like, what? They kind of blank faces, like, well, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> I explained what I was doing. They were like, wow. Yeah. And then even on my way back, like at the end of my trip, the end of my trip was Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, and I was flying Malaysia. So I, was, I went Hong Kong, Kuala Lumpur, and then Kuala Lumpur, London. And there was a guy who went to school for me on the Hong Kong to Kuala Lumpur flight. Not even the London flight, but Crazy. the Hong Kong Kuala Lumpur flight. Chinese guy that went to school with me. And we like had a coffee in Kuala Lumpur airport. I mean, it's, it's even amazing that because you said in the previous podcast you were homeschooled for a while. So you had potentially less people that you knew from school and yet you meet some guy on the other side of the world. <laughs> exactly, right. It's crazy. It's ridiculous, man. I even in San Francisco, I bumped into someone that I went to school with as well. Mental. It's so weird how these things happen. I was wondering, Jay, you were obviously very prepared for this adventure and you'd thought a lot about it. You'd studied up on the language. You'd been very organized with your visas and your train travel. You'd obviously visualized the experience to some degree prior to embarking on this roughly three month adventure. What did you foresee? to be your greatest challenges for the journey? And more curiously, was that the reality or did something happen or were there challenges or difficulties that surprised you that you didn't even foresee and never considered at all? Um, I expected the greatest challenge to be, in a way, as it was. Everything after crossing the border into Belarus, that's why I considered the challenge. So like the European part, obviously, that was just like a breeze for me. So the unknown. Yes, the unknown was the biggest challenge. And I think that's the case for everyone. I expected some kind of James Bond inspired kind of KGB, like <laughs> chasing me for not having the right document and then ending up in jail and, you know, all these kind of crazy thoughts that I had, which were basically prejudiced thoughts against, against uh, Russians which is brainwashed into us by the media, it turned out to be nothing at all. It turned out that the people are actually incredibly friendly and the countries are, are all absolutely incredible and everyone was welcoming. I had those beliefs blasted out of me fairly quickly and I had my various security devices. Uh, at the end, they were just buried at the bottom of my bag. I wasn't <laughs> worried anymore, you know? It was it was definitely a prejudice that was eliminated from me, and you know nowadays you know it's so much we talk all about obviously big topics nowadays are racism and prejudice and stuff like that. No one talks about Russophobia. Right. I mean, our media is still Russophobic. Mm. Our media still tries to blame Russia for this, that, and the other. I mean, yeah, the Russian government's dodgy, but so's the British government, so's the American government. All governments are dodgy. Mm. It doesn't say anything about the people themselves. And I think it's worth that people, it's definitely worth learning about that these countries are great, full of great people, very welcoming, very, very welcoming to strangers and foreigners. I expected to be disliked for being a Westerner, which I was not. I was welcomed. Right. So there was some revelatory experiences for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. the brilliant thing about travel, isn't it? That's the one of the best things, I think. One of the best things, that and also challenging yourself, personal growth and pushing your comfort zone. Those are the two big benefits, I believe. Would you say, Jay, in this context, you pushed your comfort zone because you were fearful of the unknown in a sense? You were aware of, or maybe you were not aware of your own prejudices about the places and the people where you were going. So you, that made you uncomfortable. But in the end, let's say you pushed your comfort zone, but your sphere of comfort became so much bigger because you realized, you discovered that there's nothing to be afraid of in this area. Yeah, absolutely. What I was afraid of was a fallacy. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that was, it was just, you know, that and that pushed me on to my next trip, which was South America. And I did like tours of Brazilian favelas and stuff. Like it just, mm. and again, nothing bad happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of travelers on, on YouTube, you know, these famous guys like Drew Binsky, those kind of guys. I mean, you go to places like Afghanistan even and, and nothing happens to them. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to a podcast with Leveson Wood recently, who hitchhiked all the way to India from London. Yeah. And, you know, through 
Afghanistan and Pakistan and all these places, he was totally fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he he even said that the people in those countries were in a way even more hospitable than you get in Western countries. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's a hospitality culture that that exists in in the in Asia and Middle East. I mean, even Turkey is. I mean, hospitality culture in Turkey is incredible. Mm. Albanians also great hospitality. Yeah, I wouldn't hitchhike through Afghanistan and Pakistan now, <laughs> personally. Yeah, I do have my limits, uh, and there are some. I know there have been some stories of people who say, "Oh, everyone, you know, it's uh, the world is full of love and everything," and they go go to these countries and they end up getting murdered. That still does happen. Mm. So I think there's there's let's add a caveat to that. <laughs> no doubt, it's all about being educated and being sensible and being wise and respectful. Yeah. And yeah, it's about risk management. Really. Yeah, I mean, there's that expression that you got to trust your gut, and that doesn't mean be stupid. I mean, being brave and being adventurous is different from being ignorant and stupid. I'd have to say. Absolutely, absolutely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any cool stories or maybe funny things that happened to you that you could share on this massive train journey from London to China? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's a few alcohol stories actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> you yes. mean Russian alcohol? Uh, yes, but not only. Also German. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I almost lost my entire trip. Well, not lost my entire trip, but I almost screwed up my my trip in Cologne on my second stop. Right. <laughs> uh, in Germany, in Cologne, they have uh, this Kölsch beer, which is very very nice. They they put it in tiny little glasses. It's very small. The serving. But the culture is in Cologne that they refill your glass. Unless you put your coaster on top of your glass to block it, they will just keep refilling your glass. <laughs> and I went to this German Kölsch bar, which on, on the reviews it said they don't like foreigners. Don't go there. They don't like foreigners and stuff like that. But I was like, okay, well, I'll just go there anyway because they have the best beer in Cologne, so I'll go there. Mm -hmm. I went there and I pretended to be German because... <laughs> I pretended to be German because everyone was saying on reviews they hate foreigners and I look kind of... I could pass for a you German. You could pass for easy. a German, yeah. So I looked and I my limit my German is extremely limited. I know like five words. Right. So I went there like all cool and just came to the bar. The barman said Kölsch. I said Ja bitte. <laughs> so he poured me this Kölsch and I was just standing there drinking my Kölsch, enjoying it. it. Was great beer. It was worth going. And obviously, empty glass means refill. So the guy refilled it. That happened like I don't even know how many times. Uh, and then. Gradually, as the evening went on, more Germans came into the bar. Everyone was German except for me. Mm. And I was drinking, they were drinking, and then slowly, slowly, they started talking to me. And by that point, I was drunk, and I was speaking German, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, I know five words of German, so God knows what I was saying. I was just saying absolute rubbish. Making up words. Anyway, in the end, everyone figured out that I was English. But by that point, everyone was drunk, so they decided they liked me anyway. <laughs> And somehow I managed to explain to them that the whole trip that I was doing, and I had my passport with me, I got my passport out, and I was showing them all the visas in my passport, mm. and they were in stitches. They were they were like laughing so much about this crazy trip that this English guy was doing, and yeah. <laughs> they were just going through my visas and laughing, and yeah, they started giving me schnapps as well, and that was that was the point when I completely lost it, and I just I woke up in my in my hostel bed with. Luckily, I had everything. I had my phone. I had my passport with the valuable visas inside. Yeah. And I had my wallet. For some reason, I don't know why, but my, my money was all in my wallet. So I hadn't spent any money that night somehow. Generous Germans. I think they were generous. But sadly, I, I, because of the schnapps, I just don't remember what the hell happened. <laughs> One day when I go back to Cologne, I'll return to that bar and see if anyone can tell me what happened. Maybe you walked out on the bill. <laughs> Which is why I hope not. I which really, is why they don't like foreigners. Anymore. I really hope not. But that wouldn't be it. Wouldn't be like me at all. So I really hope that wasn't what happened. I hope that someone was generous. And I almost missed my train to Berlin. Um, luckily, I picked I picked a hostel that was literally on top of the train station. So I just had to get it get downstairs. I I woke up in my hostel bed fifteen minutes before the departure of the train, with all my things scattered around me. I don't know how I managed, but I managed to pack everything. I managed to not forget anything. I managed to run downstairs, severely hungover. Oh, yeah. I managed to somehow get myself into the train station through some random side exit, side entrance. And there were like 30 seconds left. And it just so happened that I had entered the train station through the side entrance onto the exact platform where my train was. 
so I didn't have to go to the main departure board. And somehow I made it onto that train to Berlin. I don't, I don't know how. It was a superhuman effort. <laughs> well done, man. That's stress to the max. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was crazy. And it was, it was at the beginning. It was in the EU stage of the trip. It was like, come on, you can't screw up the trip at this part. <laughs> well, that'd be embarrassing more <laughs> than I, anything, wouldn't it? Yeah, I almost did. And then Russia, uh, Russia, there was uh, vodka in Siberia. I was staying on an island in the middle of Lake Baikal in Siberia, which is the world's largest freshwater lake. Mm. Really, really beautiful place. Um, met some Russians there. It was I had an Austrian travel buddy for a while for, for a few of the cities because he had a similar schedule to me. Uh, and he was there with me. And we were, it was the two of us drinking with this Russian couple. A very short, small couple, both of them. Right. They took us to the to to the bottle shop and uh, got some vodka. And the girl bought like seven bottles of vodka, seven. <laughs> and we're talking full size, like seventy centiliter bottles of vodka. Mm-hmm. And I said, "What are, what is all this vodka for? Is this for the for the next month?" And she said, "No, this is for tonight." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "There's four of us, and you've got seven bottles. Yeah, this is for tonight." <laughs> Jesus. And so we were sitting outside and. And drinking vodka, which is not something I'm used to drinking. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm normally a beer guy, sometimes wine. Now in Macedonia, I drink rakia, but... Rakia, yeah, nice. Yeah, not on this quantity of what these Russians were doing with this vodka. And we were sitting around this table, and everyone started uh, feeling the effects fairly quickly, and the Russians started singing Russian folk songs. I think at one point they were standing on the table singing these songs and jumping around. And (laughs) Again, I can't remember how that all concluded all i know is i woke up on the floor in my room again i'm very practical even when i'm drunk i make sure i have all my stuff i make sure everything is secure because basically i woke up on the floor not in the bed which was like one meter away from me on the floor i'd slept on the floor all night uh but i'd managed to lock the door which had some interesting padlock thing so i'd managed to handle this complex lock yeah but i couldn't make it to the bed (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's better that uh, you're secure in your room than laying in a, your bed asleep with the door open. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just I'm amazed by my by my own practicality when I'm completely out of it. Like with the Germans, I mean, they were looking at my passport. My passport was all over that bar, yeah. but it had four very valuable visas in. And if I lost that passport, that would be a trip over. Game over. And somehow I managed to keep that passport safe, even though I don't remember the rest of the night. So yeah, <laughs> proud of myself for that. <laughs> Awesome, man. So boozy related stories. Yes. So, I mean, to be honest, Jay, I shouldn't have expected anything else, should I? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, I do have some more stories um, which are not booze related. I mean, I don't want to be a typical Brit. So I should tell you a few other things. Uh, Belarus has, as I I mentioned, Belarus is, uh, they still have the KGB. Mm. I'm not sure for how much longer now that they have these protests going on about the government, but they have a KGB, which the Russians gave up post-Soviet Union. And uh, the KGB building in Minsk is not allowed to be photographed. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know what that building was. And it was a nice building. So I was taking pictures. I was with the, I was with um, another traveler, Portuguese, I think he was. And um, I took all these pictures and we were walking and he looked very silent. And I was like, what's wrong? He said, do you know what you just took pictures of? I was like, well, I don't know. It's just <laughs> a nice looking building. He said, that's the KGB headquarters, and you're not allowed to take pictures of that. It's an arrestable offense. Mm. <laughs> so that was quite interesting. How, how did you feel? Did your stomach sink to the, to the floor? Actually, no. By that point, I was kind of... By that point, I gained some confidence. And by that point, I was like, wow, I got away with that. That's cool. <laughs> no one ever said anything? No, no. Mm. <laughs> I got away with that. There you go. Lucky. You've had a few lucky escapes. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think you can say that, yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, I could I could spend hours with you telling the stories from that trip. Mongolia is pretty interesting as well. We'll have to wise. save some for the next podcast. Jim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you obviously met quite a few people on this journey. For me, when I go traveling, I especially with technology now, it's so easy to do. I would say I'm pretty reasonable at keeping in touch with people who I've met. And sometimes it can be somebody I spent a day with or somebody I traveled with for a week by car on a road trip or something like that. Out of all the people that you've met on this train journey across Eurasia, are there still some people you keep in touch with that you met on that trip? 
I think that what you mentioned about technology, it's, it's true that it has that advantage, but at the same time, it makes us complacent. So, like, for example, people I met on this trip, I've, I've added them as Facebook friends. But once you add a Facebook friend, you still need to make a lot of effort to, to stay in touch with that person. Otherwise, they become just a passive friend, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. And maybe you interact by liking a picture of theirs or, or making some funny comment on something. But at the end of the day, you still really have to invest in the, in the friendships that you create. Um, and I think that I've been in in many in many ways I've kind of been lax with that I've been I've been lazy or uh, I haven't actually been on Facebook for 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 a very long time so mm. I'm not actually currently in touch with anyone from that trip. However, I have them at my fingertips if you know what I mean. It's it's a complacency that can easily happen with the social media stuff. It's like yeah, I have that person there and I can talk to them when I need to, and then you end up not talking to them, which is kind of a pity in a way. I mean, I think it sounds like you've done a better job than me in keeping in touch with people. But you're right, Jay. It, it does take a lot of time and it does take a lot of effort. And sometimes it's not reciprocated. That's just sort of the way society's gone. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you've said it's a passive arrangement. Social media has brought us to. They're at our fingertips, which we take for granted perhaps now. And the interactions we have via Facebook, as you said, is quite passive. But it doesn't have to be. But it does take effort. Any relationship, any friendship takes effort. So it's no, that's, that's never yeah, changed. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's great to have the, the, the technological ability. Um, but you, you, it's still down to your initiative. It really is down to your initiative. So I want to take you now, Jay, from placing yourself on the platform at St. Pancras awaiting the Eurostar to when you arrived at your point B finally, in China, coming in, pulling into the station, doors open of the train, and stepping onto the platform at, I guess, what you could say was the final destination. How did you feel at that point after a few months of traveling and adventure and stress and joy and all, all everything in between? You'd successfully navigated by train from London all the way to China. What was it like in your in your heart and in your soul at that point? I was still full of excitement. It's interesting. I mean, firstly, the question is, where was the final destination? <laughs> because in a way, the Trans-Siberian kind of London to China thing, then you could, you could say that the, the final destination was Beijing. But it's interesting that you asked that question because it makes me think about it. And also, it makes me realize that I actually don't remember the arrival in Beijing, mm. as mu as well as I remember being on the platform in St. Pancras with all the excitement, all that feeling. And I think the reason I don't remember that exact moment, although if I go back on the pictures, I'm sure that the pictures will, will cue my memory again. The reason I think is because my trip wasn't over. It was like, when I arrived in Beijing, it was like a new leg of the trip. It was my Chinese leg, because after I reached Beijing, I then traveled in China. And that's why I think I don't remember Beijing so well. I do remember Hong Kong, which was literally the last place. Before going home. Yeah, yeah. I remember being on the, the, the train from Hong Kong, going to the airport. And uh, I remember waiting in the airport. And I remember thinking, I don't want this to end. I want to carry on. <laughs> I wish I'd made it longer, the trip. Yeah. It's, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. And I remember... I remember the flights, um, I remember the interchange at Kuala Lumpur because obviously I met someone I knew and I had a Malaysian curry there and I remember the long flight back to London <laughs> and I remember walking back down my street coming home which was, you know that feeling, it just feels really weird to be home? Oh yeah, I've had that before. I suppose sure. it would happen to you if you go to Australia, like that kind of weird feeling. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I'm home but at the same time it feels odd. <laughs> When you've been traveling for so long. It's funny because I think what you're describing is your physical being is not in the same space as your brain, what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah I think that's that right. That makes yeah. sense. And I think that also relates to you not remembering, let's say, the final destination being, being Beijing or, or being even in China because in your mind, the journey wasn't over. Physically... If you want to look at it, okay, the, 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 the mission is complete, let's say. I, I made it successfully from London to China. But in your mind, 
the journey wasn't over yet. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. So there's something in that, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think so as well. It just continued. The, the excitement of, was just continuing. Even though I'd come home, it was still like, wow, what the hell? What have I just done? And what can I do next? Immediately, it's like, come home and get on the computer and research what I can do next. <laughs> <laughs> Motivated you for the next stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The progression, Jay Kenning. Yeah, and it didn't take it didn't take me long to to establish my next goal. Like, what do I want to do next? I want to see Easter Island. That was my next goal. You talked a little bit about that in the first podcast episode as well. One of your top places that you've been. Yeah, definitely. But it, it, I still hold this Trans-Siberian uh, London to China journey as my greatest ever travel. I've I've never topped that. Mm. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. It's quite an adventure to successfully navigate by train, the important thing, from London St. Pancras all the way into China. And you've expressed there were some hurdles along the way and points where it could have all gone tits up, yep. but it didn't, uh, and you made it successfully. I think a lot of, at least from my understanding, Jay, a lot of that success was due to your preparation was due to your intelligence and your your planning and just your thought processes. And perhaps in a way, when you got into situations where it could have gone awry, the fact that you can still operate quite well as a drunk individual. <laughs> <laughs> that helps, yeah. That does help. Saved you. <laughs> well, that's, that saved me twice. <laughs> Especially the first time. I mean, the tr I could have lost the whole trip. And also a little bit of, I don't know what you could say, serendipity or random occurrence or, or bumping into the right people at the right time with your experience crossing the border with your Polish colleague you met on the train or yeah. even just walking into a massive... I imagine the station in Cologne is, is quite large and you've gone straight onto the platform where you needed to be and there could have been another 15 platforms or something, I don't know. Yeah, by luck. Yeah, by luck, exactly. So it's almost like this was meant to happen. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. I mean, if I'd missed that, if I'd missed that train, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. I could have got myself to Berlin, but I might have lost a day in Berlin, which was also a great place to visit. So true. I mean, it wouldn't have been a total disaster. However, if I had lost my passport with the visas inside, that would have been game over. Definitely, that would have been game over. I mean, you would have had to get a new passport, new visas, which would have been another costly process and time process i suppose yeah and well. new and new train tickets to match those dates and obviously the visa has waiting times and i had time off work that was scheduled for a specific time so basically it would have been trip over so i guess the only word you can say to describe the feeling in that context is for you <laughs> exactly 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 <laughs> yeah i mean i have other moments where i panicked or uh, like uh, there was another one actually i forgot this one this is a good story as well uh the Be the belarus russia border mm. um there isn't one and i didn't know that they have like russia and belarus have like a, a schengen style thing going on so there's no border check and i wasn't expecting that nobody told me about that so i was on a night train minsk to moscow and i woke up in the middle of the night and checked my phone and i saw that my phone had connected to a russian network and I was like, what the hell's going on? I'm in Russia. I checked on the map or whatever it was, and I could see my position was well within Russian territory. And I panicked. I was like, did they somehow miss me while I was sleeping? Was I covered in a blanket and they didn't realize there was a person here? And have they not stamped my passport? And will I get arrested by the <laughs> by the KGB or whatever? And all those, <laughs> those uh, paranoid fears, which I mentioned before, kicked in really hard. And I was like running up and down the train looking for someone to ask about this. Eventually, uh, I didn't get any answers. I just arrived in Minsk and then someone from Belarus eventually informed me that there is no border. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but I was panicked for like 12 hours. I was like, what the hell? I'm, I I've broken the law. But your heart palpitations eventually calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> On reflection, Jay, this is perhaps quite an intense question. When you look back on the person you were before this journey, and then the person you are now, but also the person you were almost immediately or, or in the months after the journey when you had processed your adventure. Did this journey going from London to China via the Trans-Siberian Railway all by train, did it impact you or did it change you in any specific ways? Well, we talked about personal growth and uh, 
and pushing the comfort zone. Mm. It made me a more confident person, not just in the area of travel, um, but also in other areas. And uh, it made me more sure of myself. It gave me a better belief that I could achieve complex and challenging tasks. And obviously that applies to every area of life, not just travel. Sure. And I think the value of travel to other areas of your life is not to be underestimated. In fact, I might even say that that's the purpose of travel. Uh, although it's, it's obviously it's an incredibly enjoyable experience and you meet people and, and there are benefits. You know, you, you experience other cultures, you experience other cuisines. There are all those benefits. But the benefit to you as a person and the amount of self-belief, self-esteem uh, that you can get from achieving a complex journey with challenges built in while pushing your comfort zone Mm-hmm. the benefit on other areas of your life is is huge and i think that that's really the the deepest um most profound reason that somebody should travel i think and i think that's why it's so important for young people to have at least one gap year before they go to university if they're going because if you're doing something like university if you have that year of, of gap year behind you it just makes you more well-rounded it makes you more self-confident able to handle challenges to be honest, I think one gap year is not enough. <laughs> I think I think that when you when you finish your your high school when you when you're 18, I think that you should travel until you're at least 21. Like, mm. get yourself a bar job, get yourself a job. Also, get yourself a job where you learn the value of money, instead of just going to university without any travel experience and then graduating and then getting yourself some kind of office job. I think you should get down into the mud, get dirt, get your hands dirty, do some manual labor or or work in a bar. You know, those kind of jobs, they, they, they build your soul, they teach you the value of money, and uh, combine that with traveling until you're at least 21 before you even consider any other studying or any other career path, in my opinion. Yeah, there's a lot that I agree with there, Jay, for sure. Yeah. And I didn't do that, so that's my kind of... It's not a regret because I found my own way of, of, of getting it done, but if I were to reprogram my, my life from 18, uh, because I went to university when I was 18, immediately from school, Mm. I would change all that. I would say, right, from 18 to 21, I would say even from 18 to 24. Mm. Get yourself a hands-dirty job, get the wage in, save your wage, and plan the most adventurous travels that you can possibly dream up. Very nice. It's not a rush. Life is not a rush. I mean, 24 is... 24, you're still a kid at 24. So there's there's no way that you can't spend between 18 and 24 just traveling. Well, that, in a way, poses... The next question, if somebody, okay, let's go somebody, let's say under 26, because that's when train traveling is usually cheaper because you get your young person deal. Very true. Yeah. Especially in Europe. Yeah. Yes. If there's somebody listening who's under 26, who's considering this whole idea of slow travel, considering this idea of long haul train journeys after COVID, let's say, from your experience... What kind of advice would you give to them? Um, I would say do it, firstly, and do what it takes to do it. So undertake the planning. Because some journeys, especially in countries which are not so open, in countries which uh, you need a visa for, you need to at least plan out a basic schedule that complies with those things. And uh, my advice would be to just even if you don't enjoy that part, if, you, if, you, if you're really, really like a free soul and you want to just do what you want when you want, I would say do what it takes to get these trips done because the rewards are so large and it's worth it. It's worth all the preparation. And yeah, you can improvise when, when it's possible to improvise. I'm also very much in favor of that. So yeah, yeah, take that kind of approach and definitely do it. I don't see why you should choose anything else to do with your time at that age other than traveling or and working to earn the money to do that traveling those are the two things that you should be doing finding yourself yeah absolutely i spent my whole i actually spent my entire 20s more or less as a traveler with travel as my main priority Mm. now i'm in my 30s it's not always my main priority but it's still there i still have goals i still have things that i want to achieve in the travel sphere and um, that will be now with 
a kid. So that's a whole new challenge, traveling with a kid. No doubt. What kind of uh, adventures can you do with a kid? Well, it looks like pretty much the same. <laughs> you, you just have to take away the limiting beliefs. Like, oh, I have a kid, so I can't do this. Oh, I have a kid, I can't do that. Well, if you look on, you look at some travel people on Instagram and stuff, you know, there's like families with two kids going to like Guatemala and stuff. I mean, it's, it can be done. It can be done. Definitely can be done. But your 20s, especially your early 20s, that's the best time because you're just a free soul. You can just do whatever you want. There are no real big obligations and that's what that period of your life is for. You shouldn't waste that period of your life studying and career building. You have a whole life to build a career. Mm. Very cool, man. My favorite four. Favorite animal? Dog. Favorite walk or hike favorite walk or hike uh you mean like a place or yeah something that you've done or that's something that you want to do hmm as a traveler it might sound weird but i'm gonna go with something close to home which is uh hampstead heath in london brilliant favorite beach favorite beach Ooh. i'm gonna go with uh, Easter Island there's a great beach on it I don't remember the name of it but it's got four of those nice statues looking over the beach it's amazing I can't remember the name of it though and finally favourite travel app favourite travel app oh wow you're assuming that I'm young and knowledgeable about this stuff <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, favourite travel app let's think oh I'm going to go with Flight Radar 24 I am aware of that one I use that because not just not I mean, it's not so applicable to travel, although it's useful. You can track your flights and other people's flights and stuff. But as well as being a traveler, I'm a bit of an aviation geek. And I just like planes and different types of planes and different airlines. And Flight Radar 24 is great for that. Yeah. That's it, man. Favorite four. <laughs> nice. My favorite four. Final, final point. Quick question. Out of curiosity, on your whole train journey did you have a favorite stopover point this is a tough question because i loved every place uh but i would say that mongolia has to be up there mongolia is a really interesting country and even some of the areas of siberia in russia before you cross into mongolia the people already look very asiatic mm. um, and i think actually the the ethnic diversity in russia is something that people really need to be aware of because Russia is characterized by Western media as, I suppose, possibly like a racist place, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But it couldn't be further from the truth, because as far as I'm aware, Russia is actually the world's most ethnically diverse country. Russia has contains ethnic peoples that, that we've never heard of. It has so many different republics, and these people have their own languages, and it's absolutely fascinating. And it's something that I don't know if you've seen a YouTuber called Bald and Bankrupt. I, I have heard of him. Yeah, he's quite good at exploring this stuff. I mean, I just scratched the surface when I went to Russia and I, I saw some very, very interesting faces. You can see people who's, who they have a face that looks Chinese, but then they have blonde hair and blue eyes. Wow. Like, you can see some really interesting faces there. And that's really worth exploring. I think that's really interesting. And Bald and Bankrupt has some great videos on some of those interesting little republics in Russia that, that are just very obscure and very unknown. But yeah, Mongolia is, is a really, really interesting country. I stayed in a yurt with some nomads, uh, and that was a real experience. And the food they gave us was, let's just say, questionable. I had a very <laughs> dodgy stomach after that, but it was worth it. Did some horse riding there with the nomads. Absolutely fantastic. Brilliant country to go to. Uh, definitely should stop there if you're doing this uh, Trans-Siberian journey. And also China is, I mean, China is probably my favorite country of all time that I've visited. Mm. And the food is one of the things, one of the things I love the most about China. It's nothing like Chinese food that you get in the West. It's, it's fresh. It's, it's, it's really, really tasty. I think I mentioned on the, on the first episode as well, the Chinese food. China is a rich, rich experience to be savored. I didn't spend long enough there. I only went to Beijing, Xi'an. I saw the Terracotta Army, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. I went to Shanghai, which is a really, really, really vibrant, nice city. I visited Taiwan to see the other side of China, the non-communist China. 
Taiwan is 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 lovely, and Hong Kong and Macau for that kind of British Portuguese ex-colonial influences going on. China is a place you could spend years and years and years in. I love China. I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could go on and on. Great man, we're out of time, so we'll have to save it for the time you come on uh, for the third time on the podcast at some point in the future. Brilliant. Why not? <laughs> so yeah, Jay Canning. Thanks again for coming on. Really great to chat to you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I hope we can do more. Nice one. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.